Hello and welcome to the Imagine Media Futures podcast. I am your host Tejas Nair, a new media artist and co-producer of the Imit Media Arts Festival. This series features insightful conversations between Australian and Indian creatives about the future of independent media and creative ecosystems while discussing business remodeling and adapting through the pandemic, cross-cultural collaboration and strategies for effective audience outreach and engagement in the post-COVID-19 world. We hope that this series will act as a catalyst to forge sustainable collaborations between Indian and Australian practitioners to creatively respond to future opportunities. The Media Futures podcast is brought to you by Asia Link Arts, the Australian Consulate General in Mumbai, and IMIT Media Arts Festival. Hello everyone. This episode is titled Collaborative Online Artistic Production featuring David Carberry from Shock Therapy Productions in Australia and Tejas Nair, who's an artist uh, by the moniker Sprike, as well as uh, the co-producer of IMIT Media Arts Festival in India. Uh, and I'm Avinash Kumar, I'm your host for today. So let's kick things off um, maybe with David. Do you want to give uh, a quick introduction to the audience about your work and yourself? Sure. Um, thanks, Avi and Tejas. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, so I am a performing artist. Uh, I come from the world of circus, um, but I'm also a musician. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to go to a performing arts school called the Flying Fruit Fly Circus in um, Albury-Wodonga, uh, which is sort of near Melbourne. Um, and it's kind of like an institution now, and there are alumni from uh, graduates who have gone into the companies all over the world. Um, so I had a good grounding in performing arts there, and kind of that's pretty much all I've done all of my life is been in the performing arts industry. Um, and you know, lucky enough to be at the starting point for some really interesting work and companies. Um, including Circo and, and Briefs, and then started my own company, um, Company 2, and was performing and creating works uh, touring to like major festivals, mostly in Europe, but also South America, North America. Um, and uh, yeah, then went off and became, uh, well, I became a father, <laughs> so, so I couldn't be on the road all the time and sort of started moving into producing um, and that's when I started working for Shock Therapy. So I still work as an independent and create work myself but um, also work as a producer for Shock Therapy mostly in the role of producing but also a slightly creative role as well. Um, and their, their style of theatre is, um, is more traditional, text-based but they also work in various spheres, like create theater for young people um, and, you know, creating immersive theatrical experiences for major festivals. Um, yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell who I am and, and what I do. Very interesting. Thank you, David. Tejas, would you like to go? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Avinash. And uh, thanks, David. It's uh, nice to be here talking to you guys. So yeah, my name is Tejas. I am an artist and creative entrepreneur based in Bombay. I uh, produce and perform electronic music uh, and, and sometimes electronic uh, multimedia projects along with collaborators like uh, visual artists, uh, game designers, projection mapping artists and so on. Um, I also run a studio in Bombay uh, that does a lot of music and sound production kind of stuff. We do everything from uh, work in mainstream film industry as well as uh, fairly experimental sound design and sound art uh, sort of project. Um, I also have a keen uh, interest in the world of new media through uh, not just as a creator but also as a as a curator as a as a producer to try and uh, facilitate and enable certain collaborations and projects uh, which I do through a record label that I run called Skip a Beat and uh, I'm also a 
co-producer, so to speak, on IMIT's Media Arts Festival, which I first attended in 2014-15 as basically a fixer in Bombay City because the rest of the team was from outside of the city. And uh, here we are now um, trying to build uh, as many amazing things as we can, uh, whether remotely or uh, physically in person, and, and trying to showcase, uh, I guess, um, a more Indian... Uh, flavor to uh, art that's driven by technology. That's, I, I guess that's how I would put uh, what I'm doing. Yeah. Thank you, Tejas. And thanks, David. Yeah, great to have you guys here. And, um, you know, it's, it's quite exciting to hear about your work. And obviously, we did some research together on, you know, your various bodies of work. And I could kind of uh, um, feel uh, like there are definitely a lot of possibilities already, even without this conversation and in the work that both of you do. So I'm hoping that this conversation can hopefully catalyze some new collaborations for all of us. Uh, okay, now before we get into, obviously there's a, a bunch of like heavy questions in here in some ways and kind of serious thinking about the future uh, as well as more positive opportunities about the future. Uh, but I'd like to kick off a little bit by maybe just reflecting on where we are today. Obviously, uh, we don't need to spend much time analyzing what COVID has done. We all know that and we're still in it. Um, but I guess more specifically to your personal practice as an individual artist or as a collective, um, I thought that maybe we could kick off by just getting a sense check from you on, you know, how your practice has been impacted by COVID. Um, you know, are there like new focuses for engagement that have ar arisen from this time? Um, and just, just, just how your personal landscape of culture has changed uh, and is changing maybe in this time. Um, so anyone can go first, maybe, yeah. Obviously, this time has affected people really differently, um, depending on, you know, where you are geographically or, um, yeah, personally. Uh, and so I guess my experience w working with the team at Shock Therapy, like my personal mindset around the time of all of that kind of um, initial change was um, quite proactive. Um, and I know for some people who are in similar circumstances, um, it, you know, faced with the same sort of devastation of, or potential devastation um, of, their, of their work and their practice, that it was all too much. Um, and, but, but for me and Sam and Hayden, who are the directors at Shock Therapy, we all sort of quickly switched into this, okay, where's the river going to flow now kind of mode. Um, and, yeah, I think it, it, it was actually in some ways quite positive, you know, because we were, um, we were constantly focusing on where the opportunities were and going, oh, we could do this or there's this new funding available. Okay, well, now we're going to stream the school shows and, and put all our energy into that kind of mode. Um, yeah, which was quite in some ways positive. And, and I also do a little bit of programming for a little venue in, in West End that does sort of experimental arts and, and um, music. And it was similar there. We went into a crisis action plan and immediately went into, okay, how do I, how, how can we capitalize on whatever opportunities are coming now because of this? And, you know, in some ways it sort of leveled the landscape a little bit, you know, for example, with this venue called The Sideshow, because we were able to move so quickly and reorganize programming and essentially we were right at the top of the line. As soon as the venues were able to open at 50% capacity, we were the first people putting on shows um, ahead of the big major venues, which took another month to sort of catch up so yeah in that sense i felt like the landscape had, had changed and because of that it creates these these opportunities and um yeah t a time for change and and working out what is important in your practice that you know that you want to hold on to and so i think fundamentally that was kind of my experience um yeah, and then more specifically, obviously, different projects came from that. I was actually curious about the name shock therapy and also based on what you said, is was this shock therapeutic for you in some ways, as you're indicating? <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, kind of, yeah, kind of in a way. 
Um, I mean, there might be some lingering effects that need some therapy <laughs> in the long term. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for, for the company, um, it's been interesting now coming out of it because of all of the online presence that we had and the different methods of kind of streaming and reaching the audiences and that kind of thing. Now that things are opening up and we're taking bookings, that there's like a record number of bookings for the company in this part of the year, which I think has a, has a lot to do with, um, yeah, I guess how, how we all felt about the situation and had the energy to kind of deal with it. Absolutely. I can totally resonate uh, with my own studio practice as well. Thank you for sharing. Tejas, how about you? How's it been for you? Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, I don't know, it's still, it's still mixed emotions for me, really. I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have a very clear uh, perspective on uh, how the practice has evolved yet, because it's still evolving. Uh, it doesn't feel like we've reached a place where we know what the way forward is. But at the same time, like David said, you know, it's, uh, it's also come with like uh, exciting chances to uh, try and rethink some of what we do and, and uh, approach... Uh, the work we do slightly differently. For me personally, I had a new show which was uh, sort of, you know, it took me six months to build and then led up to a point where uh, the show premiered in uh, December of 2019 and was slated to hit the road through 2020. And when that didn't happen, essentially my focus pivoted to, uh, you know, how, how best can this be continued and presented to audiences um, despite of, you know, no physical uh, location-based events, for example. Um, and that led me and the team uh, at the studio down an interesting path where we, we tried to uh, put together all the different pockets of uh, work that we do, which ranges from uh, music and reactive visuals and video games and web art and all of that sort of stuff and, and mash it up together to create this... Um, I don't know, uh, I guess an immersive experience platform, uh, one could call it. It's called Vitamin E, which is something that I'm currently working on. And um, it essentially became an outlet to be able to continue showcasing audiovisual works, electronic music concerts, but in a in a slightly offbeat manner, uh, because a lot of my peers had had pushed through the video streaming thing in such a big way that it almost made me feel like I was just not going to do justice to it. Um, and, you know, it's you have to play to your strengths, I feel. And I felt that the strength for us was in trying to uh, create like a two-way stream of interaction rather than us serving up the content and then an audience consuming it. I'm quite interested to figure out how we can serve content that then the audience can also interact with and probably affect and, and change and manipulate themselves. So that led us down this gaming path. Um, and yeah, we've now uh, built a really cool prototype of a web-based um, video game platform which operates much like a Fortnite or any other immersive um, third-person video game uh, where you can pick a character and, and travel through uh, a virtual world that we've created specifically for that show or that performance or that narrative. Um, and yeah, you can interact with other players within the environment. So it's essentially a video game, but there's there's no story to the video game. You're there in an in an uh, alternate world, so to speak, trying to experience things um, that you wouldn't be able to do in person. And as as we continued with that, the ins the first reaction was, of course, how do we continue doing uh, presenting work uh, without physical spaces? But then over time, we realized that you can't. Uh, both as a practitioner and as someone who enjoys consuming performances, you realize that you can't replace one or the other. Uh, a live performance is always going to be a live performance and it's always going to give you those goosebumps when you're physically there. And um, the opportunity with uh, you know digital, virtual, augmented experiences is to extend on that and create new experiences rather than replicate what... Um, uh, you know, could not be done uh, physically at the time. So, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting uh, eight to ten months, I would say. In India specifically, now things feel like they're they're almost uh, you know back to normal. I don't know how safe that is necessarily, but uh, 
you know it's um it's also reached a point now where uh, clearly as as a collective humans are not are not meant to just sit in rooms and look into cameras and and function that way uh, we're all getting a bit too itchy i think now so uh, yeah the hope is that we can we can continue to go back to doing uh, things in person in a more safe way but at the same time it's now unlocked these doors for uh digital uh, experiences and virtual experiences which i think is not something we should pull back from just because physical is back but use this momentum to uh think how those two can uh work together for you know maybe physical shows to reach bigger audiences outside of just that city or that venue that they showcased in and digital experiences to reach uh, new audiences with uh, um you know uh different formats even excellent thanks to just there's definitely a lot to unpack uh, between both the things you guys shared and i think yeah for me i can totally resonate with several parts of uh, what both of you said in my own arts practice and in my studio practice uh, i guess the question for me to uh, to the both of you is maybe to pick one uh, uh, kind of artistic collaboration that uh, kind of maybe it's close to your heart from the last year um possibly it could have been something that happened before but maybe had uh got altered in some ways maybe like they just the example that you had uh but kind of maybe before that going deeper into just a sense from both of you around the idea of collaboration itself because i think that's a much more important aspect than the medium for the collaboration so maybe some quick notes from you guys on what 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 constitutes an ideal and you know romantic utopian collaborations that you might have had uh, in your kind of practice could you speak about that yeah well um I'm definitely a collaborator um creatively on and on all levels and see my weaknesses where they are and where I'd like to grow them and see um you know interesting possibilities in artists and you know where those gaps can be filled or where um you know you can come together to create something that was impossible working alone um yeah I think even like for example talking from a performing arts perspective great solo works like um those of James James Thierry's Raoul which is a solo show um in terms of you're looking at only one actor on stage but he's working with you know 30 or 40 collaborators to bring that whole um experience together and i don't know whether he sees it that way or not <laughs> but um that's definitely how i see it and um yeah i think yeah all the great works that i've been involved in have been with you know great collabor- collaborations they just how about you anything that sticks out yeah i think uh i mean i feel i feel like uh, i i definitely resonate with what uh, david mentioned i'm i'm a serial collaborator myself i like to uh, think that you know uh, every opportunity to work with like-minded people sometimes not even like-minded people is uh, is a good way to sort of uh, have a lot more perspective on what we do as as creatives uh because you're learning and exposing yourself to new techniques new thought processes new inspirations um so yeah i think um i i actually feel part of what uh, david just mentioned because when i'm performing electronic music or an audiovisual showcase for example i often end up being the person who's on stage uh and and i i do feel like i mean i do this because i make it a point to always make sure at the end of the show everybody knows the number of people that were involved and who did what and you know that's just something i like doing because for for someone who's attending that show they get to see just this one figure on stage and and feel that you know all of this comes from that one person and so on uh but it's definitely not that at every level i think you know from production to creative direction to uh whether it's logistics whether it's you know finding the right materials finding the right technology uh putting it all together testing whether it even works um i think more so in my case i feel with when when things are built digitally uh there's so many things to learn that you can't learn it all uh you can't you can't learn how to do sound and visuals and uh coding and you know try and put all of these things together you can know some of it but it's it's very rare that one person can do all of that 
so I think the nature of uh, digital online art uh, and sometimes music also and other forms that tie in with it, the nature of it, the fabric of it is driven by collaboration. And uh, um, yeah, I think I think it's a very special thing. Uh, it, it also... Um, I don't want to say it globalizes things because obviously losing its local identity is also not the best thing. But it, in a way, the thought process uh, is globalized in that you learn so many things from that that you would never have interfaced with in your environment. But now you can learn from someone else who's had a completely different journey to get until that point. And then there's an exchange of information that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I think that exchange, um, which is happening all over the place through um, digital mediums, is like a kind of breakdown of knowledge sharing as well. Um, you know, essentially, you can be collaborating pe- with people who don't even know that they're being yeah. collaborated with <laughs> yeah. in some ways. Um, yeah, but I think also, like, uh, going back to what you're saying, um, just thinking about like the how collaboration for me is has a really kind of intrinsic link to the evolution of art forms as well and that thing of like nothing nothing is completely new like everything is a remix and everything's built on everything that came before it so um you know even if you are working solo you're essentially in working in collaboration with the history of your art form that's come come before you so yeah, I feel like those things yeah, are really linked. Absolutely. No, that's. I think that's really important, and I think you know, even with, it's interesting that for maybe for both of you, collaborations is an intrinsic part of what you do, and maybe what they just said around this kind of the times we're in, also pushing and essentially making collaboration a necessity uh, because of this, uh, you know, cross-border, cross-platform, highly digital and high-touch kind of mix. Of, of things that both of you are trying to try, uh, you know, working out. I feel it's quite interesting, definitely, that, that do, you, do you guys feel like there's actually an opportunity that, in a way, has uh, been something that has been promising for you? I mean, again, based on the examples that both of you shared, it seems like it's almost that combination of being in a collaborative practice and now working on highly collaborative technology. Do you feel like there's something in there that's to your advantage as artists today? Uh, well, I mean, it creates more opportunities, that's for sure. Um, and to think outside the box, um, and, but I guess it's tricky as a, as a perform, as a physical performing artist, um, yeah, to think about it as, as to my advantage. I don't know if it's to my advantage, but I guess it feels like, you know, what happened last year and what is still going on is a fork in the road and it's not like as things open up we're going to be able to go back to how it was or that the things that you were doing before are going to be as relevant now because they're not you know it's different um so i think maybe having that awareness and 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 having the experience of transitioning through this process will be to our advantage um i would say that's my perspective at least yeah, I, I feel like uh, I, I definitely feel it helps my creative process uh, because oftentimes I think most people that are art practitioners know this, that uh, oftentimes the biggest dreams are only limited by the budget, right? And and often my work has led me to a place where you realize that physically being in the same space uh, adds these you know levels of logistics and costs that are sometimes just not available uh not every time but sometimes and what this past year has taught me is that uh there are definitely ways to still build and continue working without physically being in the same space uh as many times uh so to speak um yeah like for example the the online video game uh co- platform that we've been building uh, has essentially been with a team of six people, uh, each in completely different cities. We haven't met physically even once through the entire experience. Uh, and we all we all don't even live that far from each other. We're in like either neighboring cities or sometimes in the same city at a, at a 
you know, a distance of maybe 30 kilometers at most. Um, but to know that uh, the tools, the interfaces for us to communicate and continue building remotely exists is a, <clears throat> is a really positive sign, I think, even for international collaborations where the limitations of uh, trying to get together in the same space first to then build and then showcase uh, can now maybe uh, happen slightly different where the, the opportunity to begin the work is far more possible in a remote sense. Like uh, I think a lot of people have used live streaming to showcase material, but as a producer or a creator, when you're when you're actually building stuff, live streaming means a completely different thing, right? The ability to stream music from one uh, studio to another or a dancer being able to share their weed with a visual artist and a visual artist being able to uh, send uh, live data points to a lighting uh, engineer and so on and so forth. So I think the opportunities are definitely much more. Um, but in the final, in the perspective of a final outcome, it, it entirely again depends on the collaboration. It, it's not necessarily always the case where um, the finished outcome showcases the collaboration in the same way. There's levels to collaboration also, I feel. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot easier to be able to work with people remotely. Uh, I remember until like maybe late 2019, if someone uh told me that we were going to build a live show uh while being just you know a couple of hours a flight that's just a couple of hours away from each other but we do it for eight months and not meet even once it would have sounded ridiculous uh because the easier thing to do is just to take the flight and, and spend some time together and do it uh but when you're not left with that option and that choice you realize that it is still possible it can get very frustrating with bad internet but uh it's still very much possible i feel Fascinating. I I find it really interesting to hear both your points of views in this, and I can obviously I can relate to both because on one end I like Tejas. I I mean I know Tejas from the music scene. I've spent you know uh, a decade and a little bit more on the electronic Indian electronic music scene and so on. And I think approaching this topic from the point of view of that kind of electronic arts uh, starting point is definitely extremely interesting. And at the same time. Uh, you know, with, uh, I hear David's point of view, and, and my mom, my mom is, for example, is a is an Indian classical dancer, has been all her life, and her response to the pandemic was also in a way in that kind of idea around the fact that when when the human form and uh, when the human body is in fact the the subject of the art in some ways, as it is in theater and performing arts, then what that digital transition does is. Uh, it's definitely quite challenging to, uh, I think, accept at some level as the artist uh, herself, herself or himself. Yeah, because you essentially then start working in other mediums, you know, um, and that was clear right from the start when, um, when initially some of my peers started working on trying to just transition what they were doing on stage to, um, to online without much thought other than copy and paste. It just didn't work. It was very clear that it just didn't work. Um, and yeah, particularly for um, dance and circus, which is very much about um, the body, um, but also like the tangible sense of risk and danger and, you know, all these feelings that are hard to replicate um, through through the digital space. Uh, and, and, we were lucky at Shock Therapy that their work um, is theatre-based and so translating that to screen is relatively easy, so to speak, because it's a familiar form. You know, you, you're taking a theatrical work and framing it in a way that people are used to when they might see, you know, film or TV. Um, but it definitely wasn't the same for for the circus arts or... Or physical theater and there have been lots of people over this time trying different methods and um yeah that's it's a tricky one um because yeah it's a different it's a different medium that's really interesting absolutely i i that's a really uh interesting way of looking at it and i think you're absolutely correct and uh i think it's like an artist trying to go become a post-human artist uh over a period of a few months uh right um, now that's extremely interesting and, and just on the note that you just said have you uh, and has that kind of 
pursuit in some ways to connect in you know the physical and the virtual has that also led you to certain technologies like motion capture or haptics and and other things like that is that part of what it's the landscape that you're exploring um it was part of the uh sort of initial dreaming like thinking about um options for vr and um yeah, and, and motion capture, which Sam, one of the directors at Shock Therapy, has some experience in, and he's worked in film as well. So, um, but again, that's sort of resource heavy and dependent on the on the project. Um, so for us, our immediate thing at Shock Therapy was um, how do we translate these um, theater shows for young people. Um, and so it just made sense to just stick with like a, a straight kind of film style format in a way. Um, but then since then, we've now with the, the kind of the education elements um, worked at kind of creating something that's a bit more interactive. So we're developing an online platform, um, which is a resource for students and teachers in theatre who can sort of interact um, you know, whether there's questions that come up frequently or styles, you know, it's a bit more of an interactive platform, I suppose, that we're trying to look for um, that can be a resource. Absolutely. Um, I think and one of the things, the other thing that leaps out in just what you said, as well as what Tejos was describing for me is this role for, I mean, if you look at the challenge of uh, online artistic collaborations that also need to happen globally and remotely. Uh, I think some of the new players on the art ecosystem, so to speak, are actually programmers and coders uh, and a whole lot of other kind of technology players and sort of individuals who will eventually actually have a very important uh, impact on projects like this. So I was curious about that aspect of what both of you feel and what your interactions might have been around that and you see in the future as, as things, I mean, as you said, as we kind of get to a new reality, do you see a much more enhanced appreciation for that domain of collaborators in your work? Um, I can take this. I think I, I see it in two parts. I feel like one, there is a huge impact that, uh, you know, coding and, uh, developers and software makers and and people that integrate software and hardware with other things uh, are going to have on the art world but at the same time i i'm also a bit of a skeptic because again what i said with you know transitioning from the live show to trying to create a digital experience we very quickly learned like david said that you can't just uh, take one and apply it to the other and it'll work it doesn't like when you when you present work that's built for you know, either a few hundred or a few thousand people to experience uh, in the same location under certain settings. It's not, a, it, I don't want to say controlled environment, but it is, there are parameters that you can control, uh, like the time of the day, the, you know, maybe whether it's indoor or outdoor or, you know, how big, how small, you, you have a very tactile control over how that work gets presented. And all of that just sort of, is out of the window when you're um, online because it could be from something as small as a smartphone screen to as big as a as a television in your living room and you have no idea how people are going to consume it. You have to put it out there first and then you can probably, uh, you know, find out where it worked well and where it didn't. But um, um, I think, again, it's in two parts. I feel like technology does add an impact, but at the same time, I feel like as as humans, we're also anyone who's using a lot of technology in their day-to-day -day lives also is craving for the exact opposite, uh, which is why I feel like you see a lot more people listening to music on record players and cassette players again. And you have, uh, you know, this, uh, the idea of analog film is still this very fantastical thing that no amount of digital uh, manipulation can really do the same thing. Well, it can, but, you know, it just doesn't feel the same. Uh, so I think it's, uh, I personally feel we're just going around in circles. We just keep, uh, you know, finding the next big thing and then you feel that that's going to take over and you realize that you have to come back full circle and eventually the only thing uh, that really holds it all together is the, is the, uh, is the subject matter or the material or the, uh, you know, the, the script, so to speak, or the, the storyline or what emotion you're trying to, 
um, present. Um, but yeah, definitely a huge impact, man. Uh, personally, I've worked with uh, coders, both web as well as uh, game designers and software in the last nine months than I ever have. And uh, it's an extremely exciting world, uh, which I kind of understand uh, at a very top line level. But at the same time, it's also extremely intimidating because you realize that it's it's this huge world that just like I might have dedicated my 10,000 hours or more to doing what I do, somebody else has to have dedicated that time to be able to envision how ones and zeros can transform into something really beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's where I see the, the scope for collaboration again, uh, where someone who's um, never had the experience of a, of a beautifully produced circus, for example, uh, can now work with a game engine to try and uh, draw inspiration from something like that and showcase it there and, and vice versa. And uh, that very fluid exchange is, is quite interesting. Absolutely. Um, and David, on, on your end, how do you feel in terms of, uh, you know, this kind of, obviously, at some level, you know, the performing arts, especially the circus arts in many ways are, you know, extremely purist, uh, you know, domains of work in some ways. Obviously, it's, there's kind of many examples around the use of tech and so on and so forth. But I, I, I spotted in your work uh, as well, uh, from what I saw in your various projects, that there was this very strong human and any human like audience engagement element like you were talking about earlier as well around uh, collaboration so how do you feel about like some of these uh, you know the increased use of tech in not just in terms of, i mean obviously like you said it it enhances scale and and and, and you spoke about the, the cons of it as well uh, but just in terms of you know things that you would carry forth next year for example are there any critical pieces of the toolkit that you've discovered around tech that you feel will actually stay with you and you'll build on in the, in the, in the next couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, one collaboration um, last year, which was heavily using tech to adapt to the circumstances, but not necessarily an online collaboration was um, a project called Red Light Distancing. Um, where it's essentially a socially distanced um, theatrical performance where at the time we weren't allowed to have, you know, indoor performances. And so we converted this building that had a series of windows along the side to three separate, separate rooms where each room had a single performer in it at a time. And um, the view, we blocked off a section of the street so people could stand socially distanced on the outside and, and watch from the outside. And um, that wasn't necessarily a, an entirely new experience, but um, the, where the tech came in was working with the, um, a technical director, um, Ryan Marnie. He helped, I sort of had this idea to where um, people would be able to tune in to the soundtrack of what was going on in each room via their devices. And if we had three rooms running simultaneously, that we could switch the audio between the rooms so that people could choose which room they wanted to listen to and which room they wanted to watch. Um, and so we went through a few different systems and, um, yeah, he ended up um, coming up with a, with a great option where we sort of worked off a, um, a separate Wi-Fi network um, and using an app that people could just scan the QR code on the front of the window and um, go to an online app where they could choose between the audio between the three rooms. And yeah, it was really, um, that was, it felt really kind of um, important and sort of innovative and, and, and a positive way of adapting and everyone, who experienced it from the outside kind of felt the same and and the performers also um yeah felt it felt like they were all kind of giving to this new kind of experience and even though that was particular to that time and you know now the theaters are open so you know you can go and do a normal theater show um there's something really interesting about that convergence of technology that's adapting into a new type of experience, which I think 
well, it's already set to do like a, a second um, sort of evolution of that kind of performance this year um, in August in Brisbane. But I'm having conversations with other people as well because um, I think aside from the fact that it still has relevance in the world of COVID, which will probably go on for, you know, at least the next couple of years, I imagine. Um, I think as a theatrical experience that it's sort of created a new opportunity for, for something kind of different. So, yeah, that, I, that's something I'm going to take on for sure. Sorry, I just wanted to chime in real quick, David. I I was reading through about the project after you uh, shared the links as well, and I actually found it really interesting. And it it acts as a great example to what I was saying earlier, which is the technology and you know all this other new media doesn't necessarily need to replace uh, a traditional art form or what could have happened otherwise without the technology. But when it's used in this context, where it's a, uh, it's an extension uh, rather. And it's not just solving a problem. Suddenly it's solved a problem, but it now presents you this uh, new form of exploring, uh, I don't know if I may call it immersive theater almost. And it's it's not restricted by space. Uh, if it's over the internet, it's not re- restricted by location, I would assume. It's, uh, you know, it's something that can just reach um, a wide new range of audiences. Uh, I feel it's just a overall great project, man. I hope I get to see it someday. Yeah, the videos looked amazing, the ones from the project. Great. Um, this is like super fascinating. Thanks for sharing, David. And I, I, I really uh, feel like you're, uh, I think, in the manner that you kind of showed the different facets of how that tech might positively benefit different stakeholders in that kind of performance. I think that's a very interesting point in general to think about uh, when one is maybe framing the use of technology in work like this, as well as uh, evaluating the impact and engagement. So that's quite helpful. Thank you. And I thought that we could kind of start wrapping up the episode by speaking maybe about Australia and India, I guess the big reasons that all three of us are here right now. And just maybe thinking a bit about the future, thinking about where we are right now. Uh, Obviously, physical collaboration, like you said, maybe a year, two years might be affected. But also having said that, both of you have some experience of each other's countries through projects and in Tejas' case through, I think, his his education as well. So maybe you could just speak about your own experience of what an Australia-India collaboration has been for you personally, what it could be, what's going on, and maybe, uh, you know, in the next two years, what are the kind of exciting, interesting manners in which one could foster more uh, uh, exciting collaborative opportunities? Sure. Um... Well, I guess going back to the advantages from COVID, in some ways, my relationship um, with India, with Indian artists and, and collaborations has somewhat kind of flourished during this time. Um, I was lucky enough to go there uh, in uh, November, December 2019 with a, with a production and to, a, um, to Mumbai, Kolkata, Aizal and Delhi. So got a kind of, uh, I guess, look at the different parts of the country and um, it was incredible and, and really life-changing and um, and struck up a relationship with a number of people there that kind of continued through this time um, and has evolved into various online and digital collaborations. So with the dance festival in Kolkata, um, with Vikram Iyengar and um, the Pickle Factory, I created a. Um, he he asked if I'd be interested in doing an online piece um, made in lockdown, and so I made a short film in my garage um, with my girlfriend um, who was filming, and actually made something really interesting and kind of beautiful that I think has the potential to. To, to go on and become something interesting as well. Um, and then obviously, uh, as I think I mentioned on, on an email, was able to set up uh, a stream of one of Shock Therapy's shows to seven schools with the Pomegranate Workshop in, in Mumbai. Um, because the production that we already uh, had, Viral, um, was based around uh, the effects um, of online activity and the potential negative effects of the search for popularity through social media. Um, and that was really striking a chord with the people at the Pomegranate Workshop because they were dealing with lots of 
online bullying at the time. Um, so that was a really interesting kind of kind of collaboration that has potential to grow um, in, in terms of that relationship. Um, and so now looking at some other interesting um, kind of ways of, I guess, connecting, um, looking at long-term collaborations and then how they can exist in the short term and started a conversation with the Cuthcut Puppet Company um, and talking with um, Anna Rupa, who's... Uh, yeah, we're seeing how our two art forms, who are, which are both physical forms, um, how they can connect to create something interesting in a, in a collaboration in the digital space and then long-term, how that can evolve. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess that's kind of like a snippet of my kind of relationship and um, interest and in collaboration with Indian artists and... Um, it was funny actually because uh, talking with Aaron Fernandez, who connected me with um, uh, with Anna Rupa, we were also talking about a potential um, collaboration with um, some Rajasthani circus artists, which really excites me. Um, the idea to come and eventually come over and collaborate and and kind of converge our our mediums together. Um, but at the time, I, cause he was, uh, Jod, talking about the Jod Peru festival and, and I said, I said, send me the website and he sent me the link to the website and I open it up and <laughs> the first picture on the website is a picture of my longtime collaborator and musician friend, Ben Walsh, <laughs> who toured there to the same festival, um, many years ago. Um, and then actually we, I was talking to him on zoom at the time and said you wouldn't believe this but I've just booked Ben and his friend Bobby Singh who's one of Australia's most fat, famous tabla players to come and play at this venue that I program at um, tomorrow <laughs> so there was all kinds of collaborations going on there <laughs> um, so yeah so I feel like I, through this time I've really kind of been lucky enough to strike a strengthened relationship through this digital space and I feel like it has a lot of kind of positive um, outcomes you know looking short and long term. Wow that's amazing to hear uh, and that's uh, very heartwarming to know that uh, you've built better relationships with India in this time and um, yeah I think all the stuff you mentioned is super exciting and our festival IMIT Media Arts Festival which is in some ways co-producing this podcast and Tejas and me are kind of curators there. Definitely uh, would love to welcome you anytime when you're doing stuff and please hit us up for uh, ideas on how maybe we could help enable some of the stuff that you're talking about. Um, yeah, it would be super exciting to have connect you to some interesting people from our festival network in India. Yeah, absolutely. Just looking at um, some of the links that you just sent through, it's uh, really some amazing work. Um, you've got going on at a really high level um, and just interesting to look at um, different pockets of what people are doing as well and uh, yeah I'm going to dig in some more and uh, looks looks like uh, yeah creating some really interesting interesting work and unexpected as well. Tejas how do you feel what's your Australia story? Man, uh, my Australia story is kind of, I like to think that it's always ongoing, uh, even if not through uh, project collaborations. It's because I've lived uh, in Australia. I, I lived there between the ages of 18 and 22, uh, spent four and a half years there studying uh, and, you know, learning about the country, the culture, uh, the the different parts of the culture and how they sort of came together is 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 quite interesting and um, also as unique as the cultures in India and Australia are I also felt that there's there's certain synergies that are just uh, you know you wouldn't feel that they're from two different parts of the world altogether um, yeah I think. Uh, I had this opportunity last year, and this is still kind of ongoing. There's a venue in uh, Melbourne uh, run by uh, a really cool guy called Brad, and the venue is called Substation. It's an old uh, electric substation, I think. Um, um, and what they did was work with a um, 
Minecraft map designer essentially helped them build a, a Minecraft version of the substation venue while the venue was shut. And uh, they were hosting some really interesting um, digital concerts and showcases and uh, that sort of thing. And they've uh, reached out to us to explore the possibility of us curating a series of artists from India showcasing uh, work on their platform all in this sort of 8-bit Minecraft realm, uh, which is quite interesting because uh, I, I think 8-bit is an aesthetic, for example, that connects people across the world, right? Like, uh, d irrespective of which part of the world you grew up in, uh, if you were a yeah, if you're an 80s or a 90s kid, you you know what 8-bit looks like, you know what it sounds like, you've seen examples of it, you've interacted with it. Um, so we're also building a, a version on Vitamini, which is this fully, uh, um, I don't know, it's still, it's still a work in progress, but it's essentially a three-dimensional environment with players. And, and how that works is uh, it, it brings to the fold, I feel, uh, certain skills that aren't always associated with uh, performance art or showcased art, uh, like 3D modeling, for example, or architecture or, uh, you know, kinetic design uh, and that sort of uh, stuff that can be presented in this digital realm. And then suddenly you realize that scale is no limit because uh, once you're in a virtual environment, you can go as big, as small, as fast and slow as, as you know, uh, things can be done. So that's quite interesting. So we're working on that right now. And uh, uh, yeah, surprisingly, through the through the um, uh, lockdown, I was also invited by the Australian consulate to uh, produce another podcast uh, for them, which was conversations with various pockets of uh, um, Australian alumni fellows like myself, uh, who've who've shared that. Uh, uh, interesting relationship between both countries and these are also some of them are uh, first generation uh, Indian Australians and likewise with India and just sort of uh, learning about their experiences. So those were a lot of exciting conversations even outside of the art world that puts the India-Australia relationship in a really interesting light. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's uh, it, it is quite an interesting line to draw between two countries because this so I keep saying this because I truly believe it is so unique uh, in the sense that what you would find in Australia you wouldn't find in most parts around the world because it's so unique and indigenous to um, not, not just culturally but even in terms of music even in terms of film and similarly with India everything that India is recognized by is so distinct and unique and there's you know it's hard to put a finger to it and be like, ah, I know where that comes from because it's from all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably my uh, India-Australia story. Great. Thank you. I, we definitely wouldn't have thought at the end of the podcast that uh, the pandemic would be helping enhance India-Australia cultural relations. But at least on the basis of you two, it seems like it's a, it's a positive. So that's really great to hear. Um, so thanks a lot, guys. I think we're kind of, I think we should be starting to wrap this up. So I'd just like to first thank both of you for sharing your time with us and I, at least on the basis of this conversation, I definitely feel like there could be exciting opportunities for just the two of you to work on stuff. But I'm hoping that between Australia and India, there's also a whole host of other players and actors who might be hopefully on the journey with you towards artistic collaboration. Thank you so much. That's me, Avinash, that's Tejas and David. Thank you. <laughs>